ahead and so we're just checking that the recording was going so we have um now we're in june it's 11 but i want to just do a little review because uh, we had to meet on a special day last week uh thursday we did go through nine and ten um and um just so to do, just to do a little review i was also quite exhausted <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but anyway um i'm, I'm glad we had it but just to quickly review, um, as we talked a little bit about this fact that although the people of Israel, the Israelites, generally speaking, are to be praised in this book for not simply giving way to this um, army of Holofernes, who's the general of the Assyrian army. He were, it, it, he, they don't just give way and... Uh, they don't, they don't, and that's just another way in terms of spiritual warfare of saying, they don't just say, well, okay, we can't, we don't want to, we, we don't want to lose everything, so we'll just go ahead and cooperate. Um, no, they, they just, someone's doing something there. Um, you want, maybe you need to mute everybody, Monty. I'll do that for now. Oh my, let's see, where is that? All right. Participants, there they are, and we go. Okay. Now, uh, getting back. Um, so it, they they have been uh, now. Um, they they did they made use of what they do have. They 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 don't have a large army to go up against this army, but they made use of their city. Bethulia had walls. It was on a high precipice, and there is a range of mountains and so on. And uh, they made use of what they do have. These walls and mountains also symbolize that in terms of living in this world, we need to live within the protection of God's uh, word, within the protection of his will. The safest place on earth is inside the will of God, right? <clears throat> now, there, there has to be some truck with the world. We all have to go out and get provisions or make uh, have jobs and so on. But the point is that, that uh, so that there are a few mountain passes and things that were enable them to go back and forth to get things. But the point is that you should these 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 passes in the mountains should be few, and they should be well guarded. Now uh, we also see though that to some degree we can accuse though the the Israelites here uh, who are all holed up in this city. Is it with now though having a faith which at least will not simply cave in, but which is somewhat passive, waiting for God to do something. And God has a question for you and for me. What are your five loaves and two fishes? All right. But well, all right, I got five loaves and two fishes, but what good is that against this huge juggernaut coming against us? You know, uh, we were just detailing this, you know, with the movie and uh, Howard's prayer and so on and this all this indoctrination, all this terrible stuff that's going on uh, at this time, and we feel overwhelmed, too small to do much. Okay, the Lord says, I know that, uh, but don't just wait around for me. I want you to take your five loaves and two fishes, and let's work together. So now we got a dog in the fight. Now, that is then a sign that our faith is not just a, a faith that is about um, waiting around for God to do something. Uh, it might be nice to say, well, I'm going to just trust God, but God does have this question. 
Uh, I know that I have to do most of the work, but what are you going to do to assist? What are your five loaves and two fishes? And I hope nobody, if anybody has a question, what I mean by those, I hope you remember the gospel, you know, the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. Okay. Now, uh, we see that uh, Judith calls them on this. She says, look, you know, you all uh, are not doing the right thing. Uh, she says, you know, <clears throat> in effect, what I just said, you're sitting around waiting for God. And not only that, but you, you, you added insult to injury by, uh, by putting God on a timetable. If he doesn't help us within five days, then we're going to cave and let them come and conquer us. Okay. Uh, hmm. No, she says, you got to get off your butts and you got to do something um, and, and fight to the death. Now, that is a very important concept of spiritual warfare, y'all. This is not a game about compromise. You know, in the world of politics, someone has said, I believe Plato, that politics is the art of compromise. But in terms of worldly goals, like how are we going to best uh, achieve this type of economic prosperity or that sort of thing, there can indeed be some give and take and compromise. But when it comes to our battle against Satan and against uh, you know, the prince of this world, uh, there are to be no compromises. We cannot compromise. And um, um, we, um, we have to understand that this is a battle for our very soul. And we're either going to be in heaven or hell. And I, I've told you this before, but I just repeat it again. There is absolutely, you know, if youth, well, let's put it this way, um, Satan and, the, and this world, which he controls, will never be satisfied until every last ounce of your integrity is gone. All right. And um, they, they own you completely. So, you know, well, can't we all just get along? Let's not talk about this stuff. You know, all this, you know, lately, you know, let's not talk about abortion. It's too controversial. Let's not talk about physician assisted suicide. It's too controversial. Oh, people get upset. Um, let's not talk about the gay marriage or now all this transsexual stuff. Let's not talk. Uh, you know, can we just, you know, can we always get along? And you see, it doesn't, it doesn't stop, does it? It, it? We've been, how many decades have we been saying this, you see? And it doesn't say, okay, well, there was a good compromise here. And we have attained uh, to a few things that we wanted to accomplish. So we're just going to stop now, uh, says the devil in this world. And we'll go ahead and uh, we'll call it, uh, call it even. No way. The juggernaut just keeps moving so that we, things are now so dark that there are many people who will go along with the idea that a man can have a baby. So two plus two equals five, anybody? Hmm? Uh, by the way, if you've ever read Aldous Huxley's 1984, that was the uh, thing in that novel where the government required everyone to uh, uh, agree that two plus two equals five. And if you didn't, punishment, you know, beatings would, would continue until morale improved, okay? So you see, the idea is that um, uh, this is where things go, to absurdities. And so the, the point here is that in spiritual warfare, you can't compromise with the, with Eve, the evil one. Now, guess what, though? Most of us do <laughs> and have. And there is a certain judiciousness. We don't have to go fight every battle. Uh, I'm glad there are some people in the pro-life movement. I'm glad there's some people who are fighting against the death penalty. I'm glad there's people who are out there working for the poor because I can't do all those things, but uh, I can, I'm glad that there are some people doing those things. So, okay, we got that. 
Um, but on the other hand, too, uh, there may be a time and a place to speak. Um, but, you know, all these people say, well, don't die on this hill. Now, I never have found a hill they were willing to die on. Have you? This kind of talk we have. Keep your powder dry. Well, have you ever found that it came? Okay, now it's time to use the powder. Blow this stuff up. And almost never, right? It's more of this sort of get along, go along to get along. And um, let's all just, uh, and it just gets darker and darker and darker. And now two plus two equals five. Okay. Now, uh, so Judith is calling them on all this. And she's saying, now, look, you're about to give up after five days. Um, you ought to be willing to die of starvation before you give way to this baiting army. Okay. Now, again, maybe there is in, in, in a worldly situation, there's an invading army and we have to finally admit and put up the white flag and surrender. But that's about a worldly thing that, you know, like land or property or politics. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, no compromise. And you have to be willing to die rather than deny Jesus Christ and his teachings. And comes this warning from Jesus. If any one of you is ashamed of me and my teachings in this present evil age, I too will be ashamed of you before my father on the day of judgment. So we have a decision to make. We're going to serve the Lord. Are you worthy of Jesus Christ? Or are you just worthy of the party, political party? Or are you just worthy of the almighty dollar? See what I'm saying? So that's where we have to see in spiritual warfare. And this is where Judith is coming from. Now, she spoke this to them. Now, she'd had an extended prayer back in chapter 9. And now we saw in chapter 10 that she's willing to go forth. She says, well, if you don't have a plan, I do. And um, we saw <clears throat> that, uh, pardon the expression, you know, but she got all dolled up. And we talked about that last week a bit. Um she, what does she have? What are her five loaves and two fishes? Well, first of all, before we get to her beauty, she has resolve. She has courage. She has wit. And when I say wit, I don't mean like witty, like laughable, but I mean wit in the sense of wisdom. Uh, she's trusting. And yes, she has her beauty. And she says, I'm going to go insinuate myself into their camp and I'm going to blow it up. I'm going to plant a bomb and blow it up. Now, not a literal bomb. We know what's going to happen. I've already told you the full story. You already know it. She's going to behead the general. Uh, her plan is to get in there, use her beauty to get into that camp and to, in, in every way, um, um, you know, having insinuated herself into the very highest leadership to basically just dispatch, literally dispatch, behead, that is to say, uh, the general. And, you know, when, when you're going to kill the snake, you go for the head. Not too bright to go for the tail. Okay. <laughs> you go for the head. All right. Now, that was all last week. I just, maybe one other thing to say is that, um, <laughs> boy, does she, she must have been some good looking because all these men are just gobstoppers, you know, oh, my, uh, whatever you want. And, and you know, they make incredibly imprudent decisions. I'm talking about generals and other leaders of an army, and they see this beautiful woman, and they're willing to put their trust in this woman who they've never met, who's from, who says, I'm from the enemy's camp. And she's telling them a kind of, she's weaving a tale you know, that, uh, oh, I've, I've got a, a plot that I can help you to destroy them. 
Uh, and, and they're just buying it because, well, because she's pretty. Right? Now, last week, we talked about this a little bit. There's something controversial about this idea. I think most of us don't like the fact, for example, that just because someone's wealthy, they're going to get a hearing. Sometimes, you know, we don't like to think just because someone's handsome or pretty that they should get a hearing. But guess what? Kind of the way the world is. I'm sorry to say it. it maybe it shouldn't be that way, but it is. And you've got a bunch of guys who haven't seen a woman in God knows how long. And suddenly here comes Judith all dolled up. Ooh, baby, you got the curves. I've got the angles. <laughs> and they're all excited. And she comes and she just charms them. And I don't know why I figure she's got to have a Southern accent, but I'm going to give her one. Ooh, how you doing, sugar? What you want? You know, hmm, come on over here. Come here, the darling. Um, and uh, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm hoping to to meet the general, and and, and I, I, I have a plan he might like to know. Now I'm I'm from the the enemy's camp, but I'm no longer with them. I just gave up on them because they're just so bad. They're so evil. They're so sinful. I am a beautiful Jewish woman, and I ain't ever gonna change. But I want you to know they've lost their faith back there. Hmm? Anyway, so I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously playing the, play, I'm a ham at heart. You, most of you know this. And I don't know why I decided to give her a Southern accent rather than a Boston accent. But uh, <laughs> anyway, but she's charming them. And, and they said, oh, she is so good looking. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, she says to them, I will show you a way which you can go and capture the hill country without losing one of your men. And again, uh, these men heard her words, and <clears throat> look at this. I'm, I'm reading from uh, chapter 10 and verse 14 right now. When the men heard her mm -hmm. words and observed her face, <clears throat> she was in their eyes marvelously beautiful. Marvelous. All right. They said to her, you have, um, you have saved your life by hurrying down into the presence of, the Lord, of our Lord, namely Holofernes. Uh, go at once to his tent. Uh, and we will escort you and hand you over to him. Uh, and now don't be afraid when you stand before him. Just tell him what you said. And now this is horribly imprudent <laughs> by these men. Right? Mm. But she's able to charm them. And uh, should it be this way that just because she's pretty? Well, I'm going to say I'm going to just say, would, would she have uh, if there was if there was some dude with buck teeth? Saying the same exact words, would they be paying any attention to that guy? He'd probably be dead after the second sentence. See, so should it be this way? And maybe not, but this is the way it is, you know. Now, it's and and then we we talked a little bit last week too. Is it is it wrong for a woman to make some use of her beauty, or for a wealthy person to allow their money to gain them some influence? Is this is it morally wrong, you know, for? I don't know, some handsome hunk of a guy. I don't know what handsome is for men, but, you know, uh, to, you know, charm all the ladies. And I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It kind of depends, you know, but, you know, it, these are God given attributes and uh, things. And, um, um, you know, I, I think we just have to say that it's morally neutral, but she's using what she does have. You see, she doesn't have tanks. She can't call it an airstrike. This is not, she's up against an army that's huge, unbelievably huge. It's a juggernaut, it's the Death Star from Star Wars, basically. And mm -hmm. old Darth Vader is, you know, breathing heavy in the tent, and she's going to go meet him. 
But uh, at the end of the day, she doesn't have tanks and planes and guns, and she can't call in an airstrike. Uh, but she does have what she has, and she's willing to risk everything and put it out there and go and 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 and, and insinuate herself into the enemy's camp. So I don't know. I don't. You know, if it, it, beauty and other things like wealth aren't something to flaunt, but at times, yeah. So I'll tell you, sometimes I'm not a wealthy man, but I have used wealthy people to get, gain access. Uh, I won't tell you who exactly. There was a certain archbishop that just needed to um, hear something uh, and perhaps can grant a favor. Uh, and I could not get through to a certain archbishop. That's not, it's not Cardinal Gregory, just so you know that. And uh, I knew a very wealthy person who was a very great benefactor of, of a certain archbishop. Uh, and uh, he was able to call and get get the card get the cardinal or the archbishop to pick up that phone right away, and uh, we had. Mm. It. Was I wrong? Was that morally wrong? <laughs> mm. <laughs> oh, y'all, money talks. Mine says goodbye, but um, anyway, okay. So again, I know we sort of kicked this around last time, and um, uh, we'll leave it at that. But here we are now at, at chapter eleven. Okay. Chapter 11. We're coming now to the pinnacle, the real main point of this story. All right. Uh, so um, I'll go ahead and read. Uh, I'm starting in chapter 11. She's been escorted. Um, well, let me let me just back up a few verses into 10 uh, at verse 20. OK, so she's escorted into the inner circle where Holofernes is. OK, um, verse 20 of chapter 10. Holofernes' companions and his servants came out and led her into the tent. And now Holofernes was resting on his bed under a canopy, which was woven with purple and gold and emeralds and precious stones. Wow, does that sound like a war general to you? Mm, I think he's getting a little lazy. And he is, well, let's put it this way, y'all. He is ripe for the picking. He's living a life of luxury out here while well, he's got his soldiers in tents out in the desert. Now, by the way, there's a certain other king who got into trouble uh, because he got lazy. Anyone know who that king is and how he got into trouble? It's in the Bible. The passage starts David. out. Yeah, David, exactly. Uh, so, Howard, you got that. And you know how it starts out, Howard. It, it started out that <laughs> chapter about King David. In the spring, when kings go out on campaign, in other words, military mm -hmm. campaign, does David stay back in, <laughs> in Jerusalem? <laughs> Why? Well, getting a little lazy? What? What are we getting? So you send your troops out, but you're not going to go with them, right? Fine. So David's getting a little lazy here. Well, all of a sudden, he's looking out, and there's this Bathsheba over there having a bath in the garden nearby, and whoo. And again, you know the rest of the story. It all started out, he was living a little too luxuriously, getting a little soft. He was the great military hero of Israel, but now he's kind of gotten a little soft. Hmm. Now, look at our culture. We're very soft. We can't stand it if it's more than 72 degrees in the house. You know, we're going crazy. You know, uh, we're like the princess and the pea or we're like the uh, Goldilocks. Eh? It has to be just right. And this makes us a little soft, a little bit lazy. We're not willing to make a lot of sacrifices. 
one of the notions of our immigrants is that they're they're willing to do a lot of jobs that most of us aren't willing to do anymore, like cleaning toilets and doing you know yard work and painting and you know working in pretty tough jobs, hmm? construction crews and so on. You know, this is. Uh, I, I don't know if it's fair to say Americans, but, but I think it's fair enough to say a lot of Americans aren't willing to do that kind of work anymore. I'm not going to dig ditches, you know, that kind of a thing. Okay, so this is what happens. So you see a whole fairness here is gotten, shall we say, he's living in the lap of luxury here. Yes, it's in a tent, but he's got himself a, a nice bed with a canopy and all these jewels and silver lamps and mm, mm, mm. now judith came in and again i'm going to just say the first thing she says is oh this is like shooting fish in a barrel you know i don't i don't know exactly where that expression means but it's i know you know you, i mean i know what it means i don't know where it comes from how do you shoot fish in a barrel but you get the idea this is a cinch this is just the easiest target in the world she laid her eyes on him and his servants verse 23 and they all marveled at the beauty of her face and she prostrated herself and made obeisance to him, and his slaves raised her up. All right. So she's doing the usual curtsies and all that stuff you do before a king. Even though he's not really the king, he represents the king. He's the general. But he's living like a king. Okay. Mm -hmm. By the way, I'm going to just tell you something. I used to work for the Army Corps of Engineers at the Pentagon in about three years. I'm going to just tell you, there were more generals running around that Pentagon than you could shake a stick at. And I'm going to just tell you, those one and two-star generals would hold, the, their job was to hold the coffee cup for the three-star general. I mean, it was just amazing. And, but the problem was, and this was a real problem at that time in the military, I don't know about now, but the, the generals who were in the headquarters had never led an army. It was, they were all administrative, mm -hmm. come up through administrative ranks. They had never really been in battle. They had never really led an army. And they're making all these decisions for the generals and other leaders who are out there in places like, you know, well, and we weren't in Iraq and all that stuff back then, um, but we were still in the Cold War. But you know what I'm saying? We had all these. Um, anyway, it, 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 so this is what sometimes happens in a military, that they get a little fat and lazy and, and they stop making smart decisions and they've all lost their way. And in walks Judith and she says, this is just too easy, Lord. Okay, now it's not in the text, but okay. Now we're into chapter 11. And Holofernes said to her, Take courage, woman. <clears throat> Do not be afraid in your heart, for I have never heard anyone who chose to serve Nebuchadnezzar's, the king of all the earth. And even now, if your people who live in that hill country had not slighted me, I would never have lifted my spear against them. But now they have brought all this on themselves. And, they, and so now tell me, though, why have you fled from them and come over to us since you have come to safety, since you have come to safety? Have courage. Um, you will live tonight. And from now on, no one will hurt you, but all will treat you well as they do the servants of my Lord King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, again, I'm going to just say it one more time. If this was some buck tooth dude from scratch coming in, coming in from the Israelites, scratching his butt and stuff this he would be in he would if he wasn't dead already he would be under uh, arrest and i'll i'll hear you on this tomorrow uh but i don't trust you so you see okay let's continue uh, verse 5 judith replied to him accept the words of your servant and let your maid servant 
Speak in your presence, and I will tell nothing false to my Lord this night. And if you will follow, follow out the words of your maidservant, God will accomplish something through you, my Lord, and not fail to achieve his purposes. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the whole earth, lives <clears throat> and, and as his power endures, who had sent you uh, to direct every living soul, not only to, uh, not, and not only do men serve him because of you, but also the beasts of the field and the cattle and the birds of the air who live by your power under Nebuchadnezzar and all of his house. So she's flattering them. She's buttering them up. Okay. You're the man's man. You're the dude, man. You're the, you're the bee's knees, you know, all that kind of stuff. All right. Now, um, for we have heard of your wisdom and skill, and it's reported throughout the whole world that you are the one good man in the whole kingdom, thoroughly informed and marvelous in military strategy. Mm -hmm. And you are right now low-hanging fruit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have your head in a basket in two days, you know, like okay. Uh, oh, that's not what the text is. Okay, uh, moving on, next verse, uh, verse 9. Now, as for the things Achior said in your council. Now, remember Achior. He had said, you know, these, are, these people are going to be hard to beat because if they're the God, is a strong God. And, you know, if they're serving them, not disobeying them, they're going to be hard to beat. And they got furious and threw him out. Well, guess what? She's about to repeat his words, affirm them, and he's not going to throw her out. <laughs> okay. Do I have I made my case yet? All right. Okay. <laughs> now, um, verse nine again. Now, as for Echior, uh, it, it, all the things that he said in your council, we have heard his words. For the men of Bethulia spared him, and he told them all he said to you. Now, therefore, my lord and master, do not disregard what he said, but keep it in your mind, for it is true. Our nation cannot be punished. Nor can the sword prevail against us unless we are uh, unless unless we sin against our God. All right. Mm -hmm. Now she's at this point, Achior was under immediate house arrest, about to be killed, and they finally said, hey, "I'm going to do something worse. I'm going to throw you to them, and and we'll 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 hang you high from a gibbet when we come in victorious." You know, killing those people that you think are so strong. Uh, so, in other words, uh, but she she gets away with it. Okay, moving on, verse eleven. And now, in order that my lord may not be defeated and his purpose frustrated, death will fall upon them, for sin has indeed overtaken them, by which they are about to provoke the, their god to anger. And when they when they do what is wrong, since their food supply is exhausted and their water has almost given out, they have planted they have planned to kill their cattle and are determined to use all that God by his laws has forbidden them to eat. They have decided to consume the first fruits of grain, which belong to God, in other words, and the tithes of wine and oil, which they had consecrated and set aside for the priests who minister in the presence of God at Jerusalem. But it's not lawful for the people to so much as touch these things with their hands. Uh, by the way, you know, when it comes to the tithe, You've heard the old uh, expression, uh, that, that tithe money you got, that's tainted money. It taint yours. It taint yours. All right. So don't, you, know, you give it to God, it ain't yours, and you can't touch it. Now, um, <clears throat> uh, so, but she says they're about now to touch that stuff, take it back for themselves, eat the food that was set aside as a tithe to God, and also eat unclean foods. Okay. So, 
verse 16, therefore, when I, your servant, um, oh, I'm sorry, um, verse 15, um, well, verse 14, they have sent men to Jerusalem because even the people living there have been doing this uh, to bring and to bring back them from them permission from the Senate. Uh, so when the word reaches them and they proceed to do this on that day, we they they will all be handed over to you to be destroyed. In other words, by God, who's going to punish them now for breaking uh, the law. Therefore, I, when I, your servant, learned of all this, I fled from them. And God has sent me to accomplish with you the things that will astonish the whole world, as um, as many as shall hear about them. For your servant is religious and serves the God of heaven, uh, of, of, uh, of, of heaven day and night. And therefore, my Lord, I will remain with you. Um, and every night your servant will go out into the valley and I'll pray to God and he will tell me when they have committed these sins. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. I hope you can tell or know they had no they had no plans to do this, right? This is not what they had planned to do. She's lying. <laughs> All right. Now, every now and again, there are questions that come up in the Bible that some of our heroes lie. Now, remember Rahab, the prostitute? Uh, they, she she mm -hmm. lied about the spies, uh, and, um, uh, and and she's praised uh, for doing this and, and told that she'll be rewarded. Likewise, we mm -hmm. see Judith here. She's spinning a yarn that isn't true. Uh, she's lying. <clears throat> now, how do we... How, every now and again, I'll get somebody who does, who's not a believer, and they'll come and say, well, you see, you all have this crazy book you read from and the main thing they go to is well you know it tells you it tells slaves not i mean masters not to beat their slaves and they say so the hell with your book you know i you know <clears throat> they're using <clears throat> our you know we talked about slavery before i don't want to repeat all the stuff that comes up about that um <clears throat> just again to remind you that the slavery of biblical times is not the same kind of slavery we had in colonial times but all that said i'm not saying it was cheerful wonderful great i'm just saying it was there and the Bible set some limits on what a master could do to their slaves. Now, what about lying? Sometimes people say, well, you all talk high morality, but even in your heroes in the Bible lie. Uh, how do you answer? And uh, I say, well, sometimes in the Bible, things are reported as happening. That doesn't mean that they're told with approval. It's just saying, here's what happened. And almost every one of our leaders, I would say with every one of our biblical leaders and heroes, with the possible exception of Joseph, the patriarch, mm -hmm. um, they all are deeply flawed. You know, we already saw David commits adultery, conspires in murder. You know, Mo Moses murdered a man. Um, Moses stuttered. He was weak and sometimes struggled with his anger. You know, I could go on, you know, Dave, I mean, um, you know, Jephthah kills his daughter. These things are told to us. They're not all told with approval. They're just simply told that this is what happened. Okay, so we could say, all right, still, though, why does Judith have to lie? Well, this is the way she's setting this up, you know, for Holofernes to it and others to admit her deeper into the company. And she sets up a plan to, in effect, um, uh, build, build a little bit of trust so that she can go and eventually kill this guy. Now, she is lying. Now, 
Well, Father, what do you think about that? Is lying okay then? No, I don't think it is. Well, but she's a hero of the Bible and she's lying. So, so was you know you know others did things too. I'm not I'm not saying so in an absolute sense. I'm just saying well, it's reported that she did. Now, <clears throat> let's go to the classic lying scenario <clears throat> uh, that, that that was commonly used um, um, by the Jesuits in the last fifty to sixty years. So you're you're um, <clears throat> you're in um, Berlin. And um, Anne Frank, the Jewess, is in your basement. You're hiding her from the Nazis. And the Nazis come banging on your door. And they say, is the Jewess uh, Anne Frank here? And you say, no, she's not here. And um, <clears throat> so they move on. So in other words, you lie. No. Is it a are we allowed to lie? No, we're not allowed to lie. Well, well what would you do then? So the Jesuits came up with this bizarre notion of mental reservation by which you can say one thing but mean another. So when you say she's not here, you mean like right here standing next to me, but even though you know she's down in the basement. Now, uh, it's, it's a, is it, it, well, isn't that okay? Isn't that just maybe mental reservation? No, I said it's a lie. It's a lie. <clears throat> um, you're, mis you're, you're, you're using speech to mislead somebody about the truth. Okay, okay well, then you, 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 you idiot, what would you do? I said, I'd lie. I would lie my head off. But I wouldn't call it something else. I'd call it what it is. It's a lie. And then I'd say, I probably need to get to confession when I get the first chance, because I did tell a lie. But every now and again, I don't know. I mean, I, but I don't, I don't want to just recast something and call lying just by another name, mental reservation, and get myself off the hook and say, aren't I a great hero? I would lie. <clears throat> I wouldn't praise it. I'd just say that's probably what I do. I don't want these guys to know where she is, and I know what they're going to do. So I, I'd probably lie. Now, I'm not even justifying it. I'm just saying that's probably what I do. But at least I'll own up to it, call it what it is, and say I did sin. Uh, I don't know how serious the sin is, given the you know extenuating circumstances, but it was still wrong, at least objectively speaking, and I'll call it what it is. It's, it's wrong. It's a sin. And I'll go to confession. I think that's a better approach to these things than trying to dress it. Well, it's not really a lie. And, you know, after all, do they really deserve the truth? And all the stuff we want to do to kind of, <clears throat> you know, make it look better. Sometimes people lie. Um. Then if you ever known an addict, you know they lie <laughs> all the time. They lie, they lie, they lie. Um, uh, one of my uh, seminary professors, Father Brennan, uh, he says, now remember, fathers, people lie. <laughs> He's always, you used to always talk about this. So when you're, when, you're, when you're doing interviews and getting couples to make vows and stuff, just remember, sometimes they lie. Uh, anyway, I don't know. He was trying to give some sage advice. I'm not approving of it, and I try not to lie myself. Uh, every now and again, we all get stuck. We do like these polite lies, you know, don't you love my new hat? Now, actually, no, I can't stand it. I'm not, but you say, oh, it's lovely. It looks, on you, it looks good, you know, or something dumb like that. So anyway, um, but I think that the only reason I raise this with you is that at some level, uh, she, uh, Judith is described as a very holy woman, her wealth, her beauty, all these are sort of symbols also of her holiness and her righteousness. But even Judith lies here. She's lying. Um, and she's doing so for a reason. 
And you might say, well, the reason's a good reason. I might agree with you, but I don't know it's still okay for her to lie. But that, all, all I'm telling you is the Bible just says, here's what she said. Okay? And I sometimes think that's the best we can do. The Bible is not trying to present human beings as flawless. Every one of our leaders, with the possible exception of Joseph, the patriarch, are deeply flawed people. They are not hmm. paradigms or the paragons, I should say, of, of, of utter virtue and sinlessness. They're just not. And um, they, they're ordinary people who sometimes do wretched things, but God uses them anyway. Okay. All right. Amen. So any, any other quick comments or questions about this before we move on? I, I, I'd like to take these stories and tackle some of these issues a little bit because they do come up. And uh, so. Um, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, you do. When you got into that section, it reminded me of when Abraham was walking by faith. And Abraham turned to his wife. He said, look, they tell you I'm your husband. You tell him no. <laughs> I'm your brother. He, he lied. Yeah. He lied. He said, look, baby, you tell him I'm your brother. <laughs> but he yeah. lied, though. That wasn't his wife. It wasn't his sister. And even worse, Howard, but, he pimped her out. He pimped her out. He put her in yeah. Pharaoh's harem. I mean, good God, you know? Oh, but like you said, Monsignor, yeah. it's not right, but God allowed it to happen. And God yeah. knew exactly what he was going to say before he said it. But, you know, you just like, you know, you, you brought it out very good. You brought it out perfectly, the analogy that you use. It just happened. And God allowed it. So God yeah. understands us. He, he really does. He understands our mindset and the things that we say. Sometimes we say some crazy stuff, but this girl Judith, boy, she worked on this. She worked on his ego, boy. I mean, he made her feel like, man, I'm on the top of the world. <laughs> oh my! And I like the way you brought it out. God bless you. <laughs> yeah. So again, the bottom line is that sometimes the Bible reports things that doesn't necessarily approve. And as I say, God can write straight with crooked lines and make a way out of no way. And He can even use our sins to accomplish good things. But He shouldn't have to. But He can. Okay, got it? Now, having said all this, <clears throat> she proposes that she be allowed, and we'll see why this is in a moment, but that she be allowed to sleep outside the camp so that she can pray through the night and God can signal her when they've sinned and it's time to move in and destroy them because whatever blessings and protections they had with his law uh, are gone now. And so this is what she sets up. And um, I can imagine a whole of fairness might say, heck no, I'm going to keep you under watch. You're going to stay in this prison cell until. Okay. But again, he's been, uh, he's gobstopped. He's, you know, like, you know, he thinks she's so pretty. Okay. Now, uh, verse 20, her words. Um, see um oh no uh, i'm sorry i want to back up a little late i think it's verse 18 i will come then and tell you uh when you should go out with your whole army and not one of them will withstand you namely the israelites then i will lead you look at this not just to conquer bethulia but i will lead you right through the middle of judea till you come to jerusalem and i will set your throne in the midst of it 
and I'll lead you, uh, and, and you will lead them like sheep who have no shepherd, and not a dog will so much as open his mouth and growl at you. Uh, for this has been told to me by my foreknowledge. It was announced to me, in other words, by God, and I was sent to tell you. Okay. Now, these words, verse 20, please Holofernes and all of his servants, and they marveled at her wisdom. And they said, there is not such a woman from one end of the earth, from one either for beauty or for the or, or, of face or of wisdom of speech. And Holofernes says to her, God has done well to send you before the people to lend, to, to, to lend strength to our hand and to bring destruction upon those who have slighted my Lord. Uh, you are not only beautiful in appearance, but wise in speech. And if you do not, if you do as you have said, your God shall be my God, and I shall, and you shall live in the house of King Nebuchadnezzar and be renowned throughout the whole world. All right. So I think it's uh, pretty clear that she has succeeded in part one of her plan. Yes, she has used her beauty and uh, her wit and her courage to insinuate herself to the very center of this army. Now, again, let's remember another image like this. Um, um, we have uh, the Death Star and um, um, Luke Skywalker is um, got all these computers and stuff to fly into the Death Star because there's one little spot deep in the center that's vulnerable. If you can hit that spot, the whole Death Star will go up. And that's where Judith is right now. She's got her sights aimed on that one spot in the middle of the Death Star. Now, Luke Skywalker has to finally say, I got to get rid of all these computers and just trust the force. I know how to fly through a canyon. I don't need to. all these computers are confusing me. And he goes in and he hits the Death Star. But at, at the end of the day, you start to see that she's come to the very center that if she can get this, the whole army is going to collapse. You take off the head. Uh, how does Jesus put it? Um, you know, you strike the shepherd and the flock will be dispersed. Okay. Okay, chapter 12. <clears throat> Let's see. Um, then he commanded them to bring her, uh, bring her in where his silver dishes were kept and ordered them to set a table for her with some of his own food and serve uh, and serve her with his own wine. But Judah said, I cannot eat it, lest I be, lest, lest it be an offense. But I will be provided with the things I have brought with me. Now, again, what's going on there? Well, again, Jews have nothing to do with Gentiles. They don't use their utensils. They really shouldn't go and even into the house. She's inside his tent. But she, um, she is, um, uh, will not be defiled by eating Gentile food or wine or using Gentile um, utensils. You go with, you remember the story of Jesus and the woman at the well, right? And the woman says, how can you get this water? You don't even have a bucket. And, um, uh, you know, so, well, the implication being that he would share hers, you know, unthinkable to a Samaritan and a Jew. They have nothing in common. All right. So, again, all of these are just ways of saying that's the background of this little objection that Judith raises. Now, might this offend Holofernes? Maybe, but remember, she just presented herself as the only faithful Jew left. Everyone else has abandoned the faith. Only I, only I wouldn't participate in this sin of eating the food of the tithes 
uh, the first fruits, um, and um, and so on. So uh, only I am the faithful Jew. I'm the only faithful Jew left on the planet. Okay, that's and so she can't now all of a sudden go and break break Jewish laws. So uh, she she feels free to sort of uh, to refuse his offer uh, because it it helps to. Uh, um, back up her ruse or her lie. Okay. Now, continuing on, um, um, verse uh, three. Holofernes said to her, "If your supply though runs out, where, where where can we get more like it for you? For none of your people is here with us." Judith replied, "As your soul lives, my lord, your servant will not use up the things that I uh, have with me before the Lord carries out by my hand." what he has determined to do, okay? Uh, this is very similar to what Elijah said to the widow of Zarephath. You remember the Zarephath? You know, as the Lord lives, the jug of oil will not go run dry and the flour will not go empty, okay? So, all right. Verse five. Then the servants of Holofernes brought her uh, into the tent and um, uh, she slept until midnight. Uh, but along the morning watch, she arose and said uh, to Holofernes, uh, Lord, let my Lord now command that your servant be permitted to go out and pray. So Holofernes commanded his guards not to hinder her. And she remained in the camp this way for three days, going out each night to the valley of Bethulia uh, and bathed at the spring in the camp. When she came up from the spring, she prayed to the Lord God of Israel to direct her way for the raising up of her people. So she returned clean and stayed in the tent till she ate her food towards the evening. So while, while it's true that she is not eating Gentile food or using any of their utensils, her going into the tent of a Gentile renders her ritually impure. Unclean, unclean. Uh, and so she bathes in the spring um, and um, she um, to cleanse herself, all right? Uh, all right, so this isn't just, uh, she goes to bathe every night, isn't that lovely? She bathes, she's a daily bather, um, <clears throat> you know. Uh, this, is, um, this is not the point. The point is that uh, she is um, ritually cleansing herself. All right, so we see her piety, her Jewish piety, okay. Continuing on, uh, verse 10. On the fourth day, Holofernes held a great banquet for his slaves only and did not invite any of his officers. And he said to Bogoas, the eunuch who had a charge of his personal affairs, go and persuade the Hebrew woman who is in your care to join us and eat and drink with us. For it will be a disgrace if we let such a woman go without enjoying her company. For if you do, if we do not embrace her, she will laugh at us. So um, Bagoas um, says um, uh, went out from the presence of Holofernes and approached her and said, uh, and said, this beautiful maidservant will be, will, will you will this beautiful maidservant come uh, to my lord and to be honored in his presence and drink wine and be merry with us. And become today like one of the daughters of the Assyrians who served the house of Nebuchadnezzar. And Judah said, well, who am I to refuse my Lord? Surely whatever pleases him, uh, I will do at once. And it will be a joy to me until the day of my death. Now, 
interesting. It sounds like, and she's about to do the very sin I told you she shouldn't be doing. And we'll see how this unfolds. But um, she sort of sees now, and again, remember, she's a woman of prayer, and God probably has signaled her, this is the night. You're going to get special access, and this is when you'll act, all right? Verse, verse 15, so she got up and arrayed herself in all of her woman's finery, and her maid went and spread on the ground for her, before Holofernes, the soft fleeces, which she had received from Bogoas for uh, her daily use, uh, so that she might recline on them when she ate. Now notice again, remember, in the ancient world, they didn't sit at tables like we do with high, you know, the chairs up, up high at a table. They, they reclined on the ground. Um, on their left elbow, their legs behind them, and they would eat with their right hands, okay? This is called reclining to eat. That's why a dining room in Latin is called a triclinium, a, a place where we, a reclining place. Um, and and again, so enough said, but uh, but the fleece is kind of a, uh, no, well, a nice soft mat, so you're not on the hard ground, okay? Good. Now. Um, Verse 16, um, let's see, yeah, verse 16. Then Judith came in and lay down, uh, and, and Holofernes' heart was ravaged with her, and he was moved with great desire to possess her, for he had been waiting for an opportunity to deceive her ever since the day he first saw her. So his plan is kind of to get her drunk, and you know, ravish her. Got it? Okay. So hold of said to her, Drink now, be merry with us. Judah said, I will drink now, my lord, because my life means more to me today than in all the days since I was born. Uh, now look at this though, very careful. Look at verse 19. Then she took and ate and drank before him what her maid had prepared. A little sleight of hand there, okay. Uh, and Holofernes was greatly pleased with her and drank a great quantity of wine, much more than he'd ever drunk in any one day since he was born. <laughs> well, 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 well. Mm. Now, um, so you notice, um, remember how David, uh, I'm sorry, not David, Daniel would not eat the food uh, uh, prepared for him by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he um, insisted on eating, you know, only certain like vegetables and things uh, and um, uh, had to do this secretly at first. And then eventually they got the Chamberlain to supply them only with vegetables and things that weren't offered or sacrificed to the gods of the, um, of the Babylonians. Okay. Uh, this is again, a similar sleight of hand. All right. Now, so it may seem as though she's eating the King's food and drinking his wine, but in fact, she's drinking her own wine, or maybe even just water, but probably, you know, a little bit of wine. Um, and um, uh, Holofernes is just all, all excited. Says, oh, I gave her some strong wine. I slipped her a Mickey uh, uh, or whatever, you, you know, a date rape drug or something. And she's not drinking from that cup. All right. She's not drinking from that cup. And so... Um, the chapter ends with him getting drunk out of his mind, uh, waiting for her to finally get drunk out of her mind. And she's just smiling and, 
man, this woman can hold her liquor. Uh, And so he's to the point where he's passed out. All right. Now, here we come to the moment of the story where the victory will be had. Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelts. Okay. But before we go there, any quick questions? I think I've tried to show you that, remember, this is a book about Jewish piety and Jewish virtue, and her name, Judith, means Jewish woman. And this is a story about what is a virtuous Jewish woman like, and what does she do in the middle of a crisis? And look at her strength. Look at her holiness. She will not uh, turn away from the Lord God. And, And so all of these things are being presented of her, okay? Good. Uh, verse thir- or chapter 13. When evening came, his slaves quickly withdrew. Uh, and Bagoas closed the tent outside and shut the attendants from the master's presence. And they went to bed, for they were all weary because the banquet had lasted so long. Because <laughs> Judith didn't fall over drunk. Um, now, um, there is, um, you notice again, they don't ask her to leave the tent. Because they know what Holofernes wants. And so they all withdraw, shall we say, and they close the tent and they leave. Um, of course, you know, we'll, we'll, you'll see what happens is right here. Um, verse two. So Judas was left alone in the tent with Holofernes, and he was stretched out on his bed for he was overcome with wine. <laughs> all right. Oh, he's going to do more than wake up on his own vomit. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, Judas had told her maid to stand outside the bedchamber and to wait for her to come out, as she did every day. Uh, for she said she would be going out for her prayers. And when she had said the, the same thing to Bagoas, she said the same thing to Bagoas, so he wouldn't be alarmed that her maidservant, uh, a.k.a. her slave girl, uh, would, would be coming along. So everyone went out, and, um, uh, and no one, either small or great, was left in the bedchamber. Then Judith, standing beside his bed, said in her heart, O Lord, God of all might, look down in this hour upon the work of my hands for the exaltation of Jerusalem. For now is the time to help your inheritance and to carry out uh, my undertaking for the destruction of our enemies who have risen up against us. Okay, so verse six. So she went up to the post at the end of the bed above Holofernes' head and took down his sword that hung there. And she came close to his bed and took hold of the hair of his head and said, give me strength this day, O Lord God of Israel. Uh, And she struck his neck twice with all her might and severed his head from the body. And then she tumbled his body off the bed and pulled down the canopy from the post. And after a moment, she went out and gave Holofernes' head to her maid, who placed it in a food bag. Um, It says the two of them then went out together as they were accustomed to go out for prayer. Remember, the guards all think, well, this is what she's been doing every night and it's permitted. So she goes out uh, and they passed through the camp and circled around the valley. And they didn't stay that night down in the valley. It says they went up to Bethulia and came to its gates. And Judith called out from afar to the watchman of the gates, open up the gate. Uh, God, our God, is still with us to show his power to Israel and his strength against our enemies, even as he has done this day. Okie dokie. The deed has been done. Uh, 
Pretty interesting, almost flawless plan, isn't it? She'd arranged that she could come and go easily. She'd made use of her beauty and all this stuff to get access, and she could come and go as she pleased. No one was suspicious. And so even when she beheads the guy, um, he is um, uh, she's able to walk out with his head in a bag, and no one thinks twice of it. They don't stop her. They don't wonder. Where are you going? What's that you're holding? And so on. I don't know if any of you know that there's a famous painting of this moment by Caravaggio. Let me see if I can look it up real quick here and display it for you. It's a gruesome painting. I mean, Caravaggio was, um, um, you know, uh, well, he he was known to paint these types of uh, things, you know. Uh, Judith, let me just see here. All right, pull that iron. Yeah, okay. Ah, oh, it's a, uh, let me go ahead and get that. Hang on, I'll, I'll put it up and then switch over my camera. Uh, let's see. Caravaggio, Caravaggio. All right. Huh. Ah, come on. All right, you're going to play with me, huh? Here we are. Now, if I can get this thing to scroll. Yeah, okay. Now, I'm about to show it to you. It's a pretty gruesome um, painting. Uh, you don't want to see it. Let's go here. What do I need to do? Share my screen. Share this. Share. Okay, can all of you see it? Can somebody nod, say you see it? Okay, so you've got a situation here where Judith is uh, presented, uh, you know, literally, you know, the, the blade is most of the way through his head. Her, it shows her maidservant here right next to her, but she was, according to the text anyway, standing just outside. But I don't know if you can see what a master painter Caravaggio is, even despite the gruesomeness. The, the shadows, the reds, and the, uh, the, the, the way the light falls on uh, Judith. Uh, she's the brightest figure right there in the center. And uh, obviously, um, Holofernes is um, uh, in a kind of a more of a shadowy spot. And he's, well, let's just say he's, um, he's already gone. Okay. And um, it's, so it's gruesome, but it's, it's a famous painting. You probably ought to know about it since we've read the book. Okay. Any quick questions about the painting or anything that anyone wants to ask? Okay. Good. So we're back to this scene. Now, um, I would say that um, we have a, um, uh, we're going to continue on here, but this, uh, you see though, how carefully, you know, the story is crafted very carefully to really show that all the things, you know, it's a little bit like a, a murder mystery and how all the tracks are covered and and you know uh, all the you know uh, you know all the things are kind of laid up in place and and so on mm -hmm. and you and I know the full story of how this is just masterfully carried out and um it's it's a it's again it's a it's not like it's just got one or two moving parts it's got like you know seven or eight moving parts it's a pretty pretty powerful story the way all this is set up by by Judith, and it shows her wit and her wisdom, but also the, that that God, you know, was inspiring her. Okay, good. Now, um, 
let's continue on to the end of this chapter. Um, and um, next week, we'll look at the upshot of all this, okay? So Judas returns to her people. This is chapter 13 and verse 12. When the men of her city heard her voice, they hurried down to the city gate and called together the elders of the city, and they all ran together, both small and great, for it was believable that she had returned. It was unbelievable that she had returned. They opened the gates and admitted them, uh, admitted, you know, the two of them, the women, and they kindled a fire for light and gathered around them. And then she said to them with a loud voice, praise God, oh, praise him, praise God, uh, who has not withdrawn his mercy from the house of Israel, but has destroyed our enemies by my hand this very night. Then she took the head out of the bag and showed it to them <laughs> and said, see, here's the commander of the Assyrian army, and here is the canopy beneath which he lay in his drunken stupor. The Lord has struck him down by the hand of a woman. As the Lord lives, who protected me in the way I went, uh, it, it was my face that tricked him to his destruction, and yet he has he committed no act, and yet he committed no act of sin with me to defile or shame me. Okay. Um, all the people were greatly astonished and bowed down, worshiping God, and said with one accord, Blessed are you, our God, for you have brought into contempt this day the enemies of your people. And Uzziah, he's the, uh, he's the mayor, kind of, or the governor, okay? Uzziah said to her, Oh, daughter, you are most blessed by the Most High God above all the women on the earth, and blessed be the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth and who has guided you to strike the head of the leader of our enemies. Your hope will never depart uh, from the hearts of men as they remember the power of God. May, um, may uh, God grant this to be a perpetual honor to you and may he visit you with the blessings because you did not spare your own life when our nation was brought low, but you have avenged our ruin walking in the straight path before our God, and all the people said, so be it, so be it. In other words, amen, amen. All right, amen. so <laughs> now, of course, the next thing they're going to go, let's go get some food, <laughs> um, and uh, they will, but we'll let that unfold next week, the upshot of all this, and what happens, and fundamentally, as I, you are already, because I, I gave you the quick overview of the whole story at the beginning of this path, of, the, of this class, uh, namely that uh, the whole army is just going to fall to pieces when they see the head of Holofernes uh, and discover his body. And um, they're going to quake in their boots. And, um, you know, at some level, uh, when you have a strong and charismatic leader, it's a blessing. But the problem is, what happens when that charismatic leader is taken out, either just by death or uh, by some accident or scandal? things quickly fall apart. Sometimes it's better to have a number of good leaders, you know? Um, this happens sometimes. Yeah, that's right. go, go ahead, Howard. Yeah? You no, say? go ahead. I'm listening. Go ahead. Well, I'm going to say sometimes this happens in churches where there's a, a very powerful pastor or leader, and then, you know, they're taken out. Like I say, let's just say they die. And the parish or the pastor or the... Um, or the um, Church just doesn't easily recover, and sometimes whole churches disintegrate when a when a very charismatic leader. So it's it's nice to enjoy having a strong charismatic leader, 
But um, it's probably better sometimes to have a good, strong leadership that, that, that isn't just based on one person. Uh, where there's like, for example, in a Catholic church, we usually have several priests um, to to share the load uh, and um, and so on. How to avoid this? Well, one thing to do, and you know, some of you who are leaders with me here in the parish know that something I've I've tried to do, or encourage our leaders here to do, is to say, look, who who are you training to come in behind you? You know, I mean, see, we have some very good leaders in this parish, but a lot of us are getting older. And the question is, well, who's going to come behind you? Have you trained somebody? And some have responded well to this, others haven't. Um, but sometimes we see some of our organizations kind of fall apart in a parish when a strong leader is either taken out by bad health or eventually death and things kind of fall apart and there isn't anyone to stand in the wings. So I think this is, we'll look at that more next week when we discuss what happens. But Holofernes was a very charismatic and very powerful leader. And when he's taken out like that, as Judith herself says, by the hand of a woman, it just so shocks them. They just start shaking in their boots and they all flee for the mountains. Um, they start, they head for the hills. Okay, so this is not uncommon, uh, especially when there is a charismatic leader and not a group of leaders or, uh, you know, who help to bring a, a nation or a people or a parish or a family forward. Okay. So, um, all right. Uh, now, comments, questions, rebuttals. I hope that we're not too concerned with this beheading. Um, this is, I would say, a, a rightful act of self-defense. There are some people who say, well, it's terrible. She murdered the guy. Well, but remember, he was poised to utterly destroy her people and her nation. Mm -hmm. and therefore, I think this is, you know, what we would call legitimate self-defense. And the church does not, nor did the scriptures teach that this is not a permissible thing to us when other, other things have been tried and not been able to resolve the problem. So I see, Debbie, you got your hand up? Yeah, I was thinking all along, and especially at this point in time of what's going on, it just kept showing the determination and the strength and how there was a definite plan in place. She wasn't weak until it was necessary. And yeah. when you have someone that can recognize when to do something and how to do something, it really points to the level of understanding and embracing what needs to happen to reach a goal. And mm -hmm. I think she just shows that on a continuous basis and the different ways in which you can do all that in order to meet the end result. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, uh, Monsignor. Yes, indeed. Yeah, she, she used the word weak. That's that's good. But for me, looking at it, at it from a man's point of view and from a biblical point of view, to mm -hmm. me, the word weak would be for me, it would be submissive. She submitted herself and she was submissive unto him. And she made him feel like, hey, look, I'm the man. I'm the man, just like you are. Uh, you know, you 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 brought it out so clearly tonight. The, the submission that was in her was like, mm -hmm. uh, man, it was powerful. You know, um, 
she didn't uh, come in there with, with uh, trying to run things. She mm-hmm. just used her wits and her charm to just mm-hmm. overcome the enemy. And she did it through prayer, and she did it by the help of God. So that's, that's a blessing. And the, another thing you brought up, Monsignor, which was real good about the uh, leadership piece, you know, who, who are you training? You know, because the young people, they're the leaders of the future. And they got to know how to run this world. Yeah. And if they run it the wrong way, man, we're in big trouble. Yeah. You know, so uh, I didn't see other ministries where the, uh, everybody had put so much trust and so much hope in this one man. Mm-hmm. And then when that one man falls, Monsignor, it's a domino effect. Mm-hmm. Everybody falls behind him. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, and it's, it's a good point that you brought out. I'm so glad you're getting into that next week. And another yeah. thing um, about the um, uh, the Caravaggio piece, yeah. I think, um, if, if I'm not mistaken, that painting almost sold for two, it was auctioned off for almost 200, for $200 million. Someone yeah. snatched it up real quick. <laughs> so yeah. It's a great And they were talking about, because they look at the canvas. Yeah. see whether it's a true Caravaggio painting or not. And they determine it by the canvas, whatever the artists do. It's, it's above my pay grade. But they came to the conclusion that the Caravaggio painting, it was authentic. You know, so, yeah. but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. The, the, I really enjoyed this Bible study on tonight. I really enjoyed it. It did a lot for us. By the way, uh, uh, Caravaggio was quite a a criminal. I mean, he spent a lot of his time in jail. Talk about a a great painter, but a very flawed man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got into a lot of trouble in his life, and um, most of it was very self-inflicted. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, if you ever, if any of you have any interest in art history, you ought to just look up Caravaggio in the um, uh, Wikipedia or wherever, and you'll. <laughs> the guy was always in trouble. Everything from mm-hmm. drinking too much to uh, even you know in get, in getting involved with murder and all kinds of crazy. Um, I, I will say that um, um, we we also see, uh, Debbie, what you were talking about, too, and also you, Howard, there is a virtue that governs all of this, that, that things she did, and it's called prudence. Now, this is a good illustration uh-huh. of prudence. Prudence is not the same thing as caution. Most people equate prudence with caution. You notice she's not cautious. Um, prudence is the virtue that sees, that knows the goal and sees the way to the goal, despite difficulties or complexities or obstacles. Uh, prudence is that virtue that governs our way to get to the goal, despite the difficulties and things that are before us. So it is, um, uh, it, it's the charioteer of all the virtues. Uh, so she was neither too foolhardy nor was she too fearful. So it governed her bravery, her courage, fortitude, because prudence has to govern the excess of fortitude is foolhardiness. And the defect of fortitude is, um, you know, we'll call it, uh, you know, lack of courage. Uh, and uh, so prudence is that virtue that steers that middle course so that fortitude is fortitude, is courage, is bravery. Um, and it's uh, it's uh, it's, a, it's a judgment of the intellect that sees the way forward despite difficulties. Okay, and so this is a good illustration. Uh, she carefully thought through all the different elements of her plan, and carefully laid out a, a, a quite a bit of uh, 
a, quite a complex plan, uh, but she followed it exactly. And you ever see that um, movie Ocean's Eleven? Um, some of you know what I that and there's an Ocean's Twelve, and you know they had they had sequels. But it, it's it's an elaborately complex heist done by uh, a group of men to get this gold and so on. And it has got about 55 different moving parts. It's one of the most complicated movies you'll ever watch. But it's like watching one of those Rube Goldberg devices, you know, where all these things go clanging along and they they, they attain to the end. And there's something of uh, a Rube Goldberg, uh, Ocean's Eleven kind of thing here with Judith as well. So just some kind of cultural... Things. And by the way, if you've never seen Ocean's Eleven, it's a pretty good movie. Uh, suspenseful and, and very clever. Very clever. I don't mean to say it has no profanity. I don't think there's any bad sex scenes in it or anything. There might be a little bit of be a little bit of violence, but um, I don't think it's excessive. It's mainly just genius. Okay. Okay. Um, great. We're gonna next week. We're gonna probably try to wrap up the book. Um, I want to in July. We have our seminarian here, Deacon uh, Christopher um, uh, and um, Feist, and he's going to present uh, a, a brief seminar with you all for a couple of weeks uh, in July. And um, I'll give you more about that. But he wants to do a brief uh, a seminar on the virtues, um, prudence, justice, temperance and fortitude um, and uh, to. Uh, uh, you know, talk on that and, you know, use the, use biblical sources and different things. And so I'll spell out that more. Um, don't think of it as too academic. I mean, he's going to make it, kind of bring it, uh, bring it uh, down to earth for all of us too. Okay. Some of you've heard him preach. He's a good preacher and he's a good teacher. So, okay. Okay. Well, I think we've come to the end of today. Remember in this spiritual warfare, uh, the image of Holofernes is an image of Satan. And there cannot mm -hmm. be any compromises. You have to decapitate his power in your life. You have to utterly render, you know, now you can't do it. But you do have your five loaves and two fishes. And the Lord expects you to bring those to the fore. So some things like prayer, like developing your own virtues, abstinence, sometimes fasting, whatever your five loaves and two fishes are. And at the end of the day, it's the Lord who will ultimately decapitate Satan's power in your life. But he does mm -hmm. You and me to participate uh, by bringing our five loaves and two fishes. As and you notice that Judith doesn't say, "Look what I did." She says, "Look what the Lord has accomplished." See? As Mother mm -hmm. Mary said, "You know, uh, God who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is His name." Hmm? So mm -hmm. this is always uh, to be the work of God. But we do, we do want to be working with God and bringing our five loaves and two fishes. So this is a quick, you know, description, a, a reminder, if you will, of this description of the spiritual warfare that we've been talking about this whole time. Okay. And we'll develop some of these things next week and kind of put a bow on it. All right. Okay. So we stopped at chapter 14. We start at chapter 14 next week. Yeah, I think so. Right. Let's see. Yes. Thanks for saying that, because it'll help all of us to remember. Chapter 14. Okay. Good. So would somebody like to uh, pray? Anyone? I will. All right. Robin. Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for 
allowing us this time to be in your presence and to receive your word, words that we may not have ordinarily would have heard, but bringing us together, fellowshipping during this Bible study, uh, studying your word, learning more of your word, having our desire to know you even more fed. We thank you for that. We thank you for the things that we've learned and heard tonight that we otherwise yes. would not have heard or did not even know, let alone learned. So thank you so much for providing for us, dear Lord, for providing us with swords that can, that or uses our weapons of protection so that we can perform and nothing can prevail against that. Our Bibles, mm -hmm. our meditations, mm. our rosaries, our prayers, our seldom prayers to you. Lord, thank you for providing all that we need mm -hmm. and may we continue using it. May we continue using it every day, even if it takes a second, even if we don't have time, we have our words, we have our ears, we have our hearts, mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. have our mouths, we have our spirits, that we can take this time out to say thank you. Mm -hmm. Lord, such a time as this, there's so much going on, so much distracting your children, so mm -hmm. much that are so much that's hurting and killing and coming against them. If it has mm -hmm. to start with us, dear Lord, on this fellowship on this harvest, which is ever so abundant. May you continue giving us all that we need to continue having everything that we need to build your kingdom. Mm -hmm. There are so many of our family members, even some of us, our children, husbands, wives, nieces, nephews, uh, people that we know, relatives, church members, neighbors that are sick and that are suffering. And Lord, we lift them in prayer because we know that you, you are the ultimate healer from physicians to dentists to whatever else it is. You are the ultimate healer. And it's with your grace and your mercy that we are holding on to and trusting that you will heal. You will heal and you will help every broken heart and every broken spirit. Yeah. And may we... Yeah. Continue, Lord, giving you praise and thanksgiving for those praise reports that we hear about, mm. that we receive, and that we, as we continue to receive without cost, may we also give mm. without cost. Yeah. So, Lord, we mm -hmm. thank you for this time together. We thank you for bringing us together. And those that may have not been able to be with us tonight, uh, you know. Just like you know the silence of the hearts of the intentions, those that were heard and those that were not heard. Lord, you know it all and we're trusting in you. For we know that you bless and you keep us and you will continue making your face shine upon us graciously, giving us the peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding, even through the mist of madness. May we continue holding on to that truth and trusting you as we continue to heal, as we continue to love, as we continue to pray, and as we continue to, to trust. And as we go our way, may we have a peaceful rest and it be your will. We wake tomorrow and receive that mercy that's waiting for us with our name on it. May we receive it so mm. eloquently, use it so eloquently and share it and be mindful of giving you all the praise and honor and glory that's due your name through Christ our Lord. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. 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 Thank you, my spirit. All Thank right. you for the teaching. Amen. God bless right. everybody. We love y'all. Right, everybody. Next week. Next week. Next week. Thanks for the class, everyone. All right. Thank God for the teaching on tonight. God bless you. Thank you again, Monsignor. Thank you. Good night, Sharon. Good to see you, Monsignor.